the sensations in the body, the um, breath, state of mind, sound of silence. This is reflective, uh, intuitive awareness. It's like paying attention to the present moment. And then you're establishing mindfulness on what is most obvious, like the physical body as it is. The sensitivity that one feels in, in the body through the senses and then the breath, the mental state, the silence. And so this, this is, is developed and cultivated. It, it stops the, you begin to stop wandering, uh, just uh, following the momentum of habits. You start feeling a sense of awakenness, presence. Now these things can be cultivated in daily life. You know, I mean, it's the, the, the problem with the retreat is that, that the people connect all this with a particular situation. So they think that, uh, that they only can do this when they have ideal conditions for it. Like a retreat, this is one of the problems is associating experience uh, with, uh, <coughs> with the conditions around it. So it's easy to assume that to meditate you have to come on retreat and that you can't really do it. You can't do it so well or whatever when you go home or in ordinary life. But this is this is uh, just a you know a kind of feeling one might have because you you do get more concentrated when you don't have a lot of distraction you don't talk everything's kind of laid on and set up <coughs> you don't have the past ten days you haven't had to make a lot of decisions you know you haven't had to deal with a lot of things that you have to deal with in uh, when you go home. So it does give you, you know, an opportunity to to experience something different. But the aim is to, is to, well, the challenge is always to integrate what you learn on retreat into your daily life. If you automatically assume your daily life is such that you can't integrate meditation into it, then it's like you've already made up your mind. If you're going to believe that, then that's the way it's going to be. But then you can also look at it in different ways. Hmm. Recognize that, say, daily life isn't, you're not going to get maybe as concentrated, but you can be as mindful.
as you get a sense for watching what you are kind of witnessing, observing what you're feeling, not just to, no, this is what I'm feeling right now. It's like this. It's this way, the way it is. This isn't justifying or defending, it's just noting. It's not judging, criticizing, you know, so it is a way of looking and and, uh, observing the way it is. And your reflection on its impermanence, you're observing that whatever way it is now, it's in, in say, is it changing, it's not static, not fixed. So you're, you're just using, say, the words, the way it is, as a way, as the, as a kind of focus, focusing your mind to observe, rather than to resist, struggle, indulge, judge, criticize, blame, and all the rest, that we tend to do if we, if we don't uh, know how to look in and witness in the present moment. The conditioned realm is uh, is exhausting, as you all know. That if that it um, just to be endlessly caught into reactivity and <coughs> where even a, even a pleasant life that's just uh, based on going from one thing to another can be very exhausting and. We find it's like like being with people a lot, and that you find yourself really tired if you spend all the day all, all your day talking to people or listening to other people, and we've been sitting in a comfortable chair, you can go back and just feel really totally exhausted. So this expending of energy and so forth, the conditioned realm is, is uh, you know, paying attention, listening, speaking, and and uh, got caught in reactions and and that be uh, emotional reactions to each other is like this. So the. There is an escape from the conditions, and this is, there is the unborn, uncreated, unoriginated, uncompounded, therefore there is escape from the born, the created, the originated, the compounded. I think this is this is very important to 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 uh, to contemplate this because I see so much uh, that that especially in at this time there's not not a great sense of 
of for that is the the conditioned world is is um, is we're obsessed with it you know the materialism and the sense of ourself as a personality as a kind of obsession fixation about it endlessly fascinated with ourselves with our with our own ideas with our experiences <laughs> and with the conditioned realm So you can see Buddha's, Buddha Dhamma is a, is a transcendent path. It's, it's not just a, a kind of therapeutic form to make you feel better and solve your problems in the world. Even though it can do that, its ultimate goal is enlightenment, freedom from delusion. If you just use it as a kind of therapy, it does uh, it certainly has a good effect in ma- in making maybe life making you a little more capable of of uh, facing life and responding to con- the conditioned realm in a better way. But it also has this a true spiritual ultimate. Aim, and this is uh, this is what religion is about. So religion, the word itself, comes from a Latin word, religio, which means that like a a bond. It's kind of being bonded to to a convention that that uh, where realization of ultimate truth is is the aim, the purpose. Or, you know, union with God, or one with the absolute, <laughs> there are different, different ways that people talk about this. <clears throat> but with any religion, Oftentimes, people just look at the religion and they don't they don't look to what it's pointing to this this uh finger pointing at the moon isn't that the this simile where the if you just look at the finger you and don't look where it's pointing then you don't you don't see the moon and same with religion if people get caught up in fascination with the religion forget whether it's pointing to something, and they never look. They just endlessly kind of uh, obsess themselves with with the convention. So like with, say, Theravada Buddhism, it's it's the finger. Look to where it's pointing, rather than endlessly kind of... uh, Obsess yourself with a convention. So you can, you know, you can always say, "Is it as good as Tibetan Buddhism, or is Tibetan Buddhism? It's Tibetan Buddhism is Mahayana, which means greater. And uh, Theravada maybe it sounds a little too selfish. It's not as compassionate, or 
or then you, you go on endlessly, you know, speculating about the convention. <coughs> You go from one finger to another and you never look at anything. So there can be, you know, you can point at the moon from many different angles. It's not just where I am. You know, you don't have to sit here in order, in order to see the moon. You could go over there and see the moon. <laughs> so. It's not a matter of, uh, of there's only one way, but uh, remember that religion is is conventional. So it is. It isn't has nothing. You know, it has. It isn't anything in itself other than it's it's uh, a convention pointing at the ultimate at ultimate reality. So this is where, where you, you look to where it's pointing. Uh, where is it pointing? Well, you're not looking and trying to find it as some visual object. It's not. But uh, realization of it through opening the mind up, isn't it? Through the establishing awareness. You can say looking inward you can say, uh, to look inward. But it's uh, not even that. I mean, that's, that's a, a skillful means because we're used to always looking outward, noticing what it's like out there, what's wrong with the world we live in, with this person, with this place. Instead, we, we kind of direct our attention inward just as a uh, to counterbalance the tendency to always go out, get fascinated by what's out there. But not to get fascinated by what's going on inside you either. You know, you can endlessly kind of get, you can get terribly interested in yourself as a personality. And then uh, never, never look, you know, never, never really get beyond that. Just an endless fascination with yourself. So you, you're looking at the impermanent nature of conditioned phenomena, not at the the kind of interesting scenarios and stories and melodramas that might be going on. So this anicca dukkanata, the vipassana practice, to to put to get to say see all conditioned phenomena as impermanent, rather than becoming terribly interested in some bits and pieces of it. Uh, which is a way of of say. Uh, seeing it for what it is without becoming uh, attached, interesting, it, getting it, having an interest in it all means some, you have to attach to it. So you, you know, you you can analyze and speculate about 
thing. How many previous lives? One time a woman read my aura. A woman famous for reading auras. And so I have this tape where she's able to see all my past lives. And so it's, uh, some of them are quite interesting. And uh, one could, you know, one could get quite interested in, and I, you know, fascinated by previous lives. Or is it, uh, or this life? But remember that even if I could remember previous lives, it'd still be memory in the present, wouldn't it? So I can remember uh, being a Pontius Pilate, you know, at the time of Jesus Christ. And I think, wow, I was Pontius Pilate, you know. That's, that's interesting. You know, especially to be someone that's famous like that. And then you could go around saying, I, you know, I, have, I had a vision of myself being Pontius Pilate in previous life. And, and everybody's interested in that. That's, that's very interesting. Tell us about it. But in terms of Vipassana, what is it? It's a memory in the present. Even if it's true, you know, even if, it's, if you're not just fantasizing, even if I should actually remember such a previous life, in terms of experience in the present, it's a memory arising ceasing. So this is a way of, of, of not getting kind of hung up on, on, the, uh, on the kind of exotic or, myth or esoteric or strange experiences that one might have in meditation, but being able to see them in terms of experience of all conditions are impermanent and not self, rather than getting fascinated by by things like that. This lady said that she could see in my aura that I was Ajahn Chah's grandmother in a previous life. <laughs> Somebody else said that they saw me as uh, I was Joseph of Arimathea, the one that took the the body of Jesus and brought the Holy Grail to Glastonbury. (coughs) So I went to Glastonbury to see if I could pick up anything, you know. (laughs) Nothing happened. (laughs) So this this is just not to make fun of this, but but these are quite you know, these are these are quite interesting, especially, you know, to take an interest in previous lives 
because one has a sense that is, you know, this isn't, this is, uh, it isn't just me. This this one personality uh, just suddenly appeared sixty-five years ago, and uh, without any connection, to anything else. But it's uh, in the vipassana. You, you, you're, you're not, uh, you're not trying to to think in, in that way anymore, just to to create or to to compound everything with more thoughts and analysis, but to but to see things in terms of the condition and unconditioned. So more and more you you're releasing your fascination with the condition. You're letting go of that so that then the you can realize unconditioned reality. And no unconditioned reality, because that's that's where you escape. There is an escape, liberation from the incessant, relentless, changing uh, conditions. Then, in uh, daily life, also contemplate the use of metta practice. If you, you know, if you're, especially if you're a very critical person and very uh, aware of what's wrong with everything, you know, being critical of yourself or critical of your partner or your children or the place you're living in or the world in general, you know, just the, this uh, tendency to, to um, put be conscious of what's wrong all the time. This is uh, is highly developed in in the modern life, isn't it? So aware of what's wrong, what shouldn't be. And it goes towards oneself. It's so aware of what's wrong about oneself. And then it goes outward to everything around us. So, so metta is a, is a is a skillful means to to uh, change to stop just uh, that kind of attachment, just dwelling on what's wrong, worrying, and and uh, holding on to to the faults and the flaws and the weaknesses. And that some you know some people can just see go, come into this room. And just see what's wrong. Some, they see something they don't like about it, and they become obsessed with that. They don't see what what they, what's good about it, because their sole attention is what's wrong with it. The spot on the wall, the smudge on the wall, can take your sole attention, and you can become obsessed with a little smudge on the wall and not see the rest of the walls all right. An example of just uh, you know just uh, fixation of what the weakness or the fault you have you can you can be obsessed with that and and maybe ninety nine percent of you is is isn't that way but that one percent can 
dominate your consciousness if you if you allow it to you can take the one mistake you make and just uh, become obsessed with that becomes enormous so you you have no perspective on the on the rest why we why do we do that you know I, can, I see that in myself just any mistake, any weakness or fault I see, I tend, tend to really exaggerate it. Really hold on to it, make it really, you know, important, real issue. And I think, why do you do that? It's a habit. It's, it's, it's some, I don't know, just some habit I developed. So metta is uh, like having having metta for the the flaw. So you see something you see something in yourself you don't like the flaw the weakness the fault, and you instead of obsessing yourself with it you have metta for it. Accepting it, being patient, not making a problem about it. Unconditioned love, just total acceptance uh, of things as they are, that they're good aspects and bad aspects, warts and all. Like when you talk about embracing, you say, when you embrace somebody, you're more or less embracing the, the whole person. You're not just saying, well, I'm just going to embrace the parts of you that I like. <laughs> but the, the, the parts I don't like, I'm not, I don't, you know, I wish you could get them out of the way so I could just embrace the parts I do like. It's absurd, isn't it? That you embrace, I mean, the sense of embracing includes everything. So in uh, this mindfulness, it, it embraces, doesn't it? It includes. It's not picking and choosing. Say, this, this, this I want, but this I don't want. Takes all, everything together. So mindfulness, uh, sati, sampatanya, sati panya. These words, this intuitive awareness, has this embracing quality. Embraces the moment in all its aspects, good, bad, indifferent, pleasant, painful, beautiful, ugly. Where your discriminative mind will pick and choose and say, well, this is all right, but I don't, I wish this, why I don't like this here. It would be better if we, we've got to do something so that we can get rid of this and, and, uh, and make and try to increase this good thing and uh, we've got to set up rules and controls and everything so that these other things uh, you know we can keep them at bay get them out of here so that all the good things are kind of kept protected and uh, protect all that so that uh, you know we've got to build a you know a kind of walls a fortress uh, with good locks on, guard dogs, and everything to protect the good stuff, 
from being uh, attacked or stolen or destroyed by the bad ones. So that's the dis- discriminative mind dividing everything. And intuitive awareness is not divisive, it's, it's embracing. And so metta has that, has that kind of quality of, u- of union, oneness, acceptance, patience, not divisive. You're not discriminating in the, you know, you keep this and get rid of that. You're embracing everything at once. Try it out anyway, like with this learning to even with the with yourself to to uh, <coughs> to just the the things you don't like, the things you you criticize or hate yourself for and disparage yourself. Stop doing that. Just. just Kind of this attitude of metta, unconditioned love. It's this way. You're, you're acknowledging its presence, and it's, and you know it's, uh, you know, you, you you know it for what it is. But you're not adding to it with anything. Like it shouldn't be this way, and I don't want it. It's it's <laughs> it's recognized, accepted, and not you're not hating, resenting creating those kind of things onto it. And then just see what happens if that, you find that, what the result of that is. It's up to you, you're the one that has to know it. So you have to, if you, if you practice and see what, if this is useful or not. Yeah, I recommend uh, to like the sweeping through the body. That's a very good one to develop in daily life. Take time to. It's like to relax, really, to to um, put your attention onto onto your own body, to the sensations, and paying attention to neutral sensation. Learning to open your mind and observe neutrality rather than just waiting for extreme experiences to to be conscious of you're, you're actually that that kind of effort where you're watching something that isn't attracting your attention that's very important to because your mind is then it's kind of poised in awareness looking at looking at something that isn't in itself interesting or or demanding in any way. So you're 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 not just just being caught in in uh, you know being absorbed into the extremities of the conditioned realm, but you're actually learning to pay attention to to the realities of the present that are not interesting but they're still present. 
when you observe. And this will also, for those of you who have a lot of physical pain and problems with sitting, I mean, this, this uh, body sweeping practice helps very much to relax and loosen and uh, the tensions of the body. Because if you notice, when you start sweeping through the body, you feel certain ways that you're unconsciously holding things in your body. You know, how you can create tensions, and you know, it's so uh, you're not intend in intentionally doing it, but you, it's more you find that we have we have ways of holding ourselves that create tensions, that cre- and that tension creates pain. As you're aware of that, then then you the tensions can relax, and the the pain diminishes, goes away. So this is uh, the last day, so we'll, this morning we'll meet again at 8.30 here for meditation and then after that we can have the uh, kind of closing ceremonies, take the five precepts. So you can have dinner tonight. If you don't take the five precepts, then you're obliged to keep the eight precepts when you go home. (laughs) So you better be here for that. (laughs) Also, see, see that like these this is a, an ongoing thing to be doing. It, it's like, it, it, over years, you know, I just see it as a meditation retreat, 10 days, and how much did you get from it? And that, but it's like a cultivating process. It, it, just over time, you know, you bec- you, you're, you're cultivating this way, this mindfulness. So it's, it's developing and sometimes you, you might think you're getting nowhere. That's not an uncommon thing. Don't believe. Don't believe those kind of thoughts. You know, the, the mind, emotions, you say, I'm fed up. I can't take anymore. Then you find out you can. Then you, then you think, oh, I've been meditating how many years and I'm nowhere. Don't believe that either. <laughs> Don't believe what your emotions tell you. Because they... They're quite, they're, they're habits, you know, they're not, they're not telling you the truth. What they're telling you is that, 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 that this is what you're feeling right now. It's not a, not to be believed as a, as a fixed, as a fixed position to take on life. If you're feeling, (coughs) meditation is, is, has taken me nowhere. That's the way you're feeling at this moment. That's an impermanent condition. So you're seeing it in a very direct way, but not not, not committed to what it's saying, but just observing it. As at this moment, this is the the feeling.
to the way I feel. Then as you let go of Sakyatiti, personality view, Sita Bhattabharamasa, clinging to rites, rituals, conventions, letting go of doubts, then you will be a stream enterer. And then you say, oh, I'm a stream enterer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't believe that either. <laughs> You know, it's not like I'm I'm a stream enter. They're more like there is stream entry, but no one. It's not like I am a stream enterer, and, and people want want to want to identify very much. You know, they want to have a title. And, you know, I put in so many many years practicing. I, you know, I like to at least feel you know that I'm I've gotten some reward for it. Like I'm somewhere. I'm one of the four pairs, eight kinds of noble beings. <laughs> but uh, it doesn't. It's not that, that's the whole the ego, isn't it? Wanting to, wanting to have the, you know, have a title. Wanting to have somebody say, "You are." One monastery in Bangkok used to give stream entry certificates. <laughs> it's not not becoming a stream enterer, but but letting go of 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 the ego in that personality. I mean, so it's not like you become something, but you you're more. You're relinquishing all those others, those complicated conditions. So it's not like attaining, achieving, acquiring, uh, becoming, but it's relinquishing, letting go. Where becoming a stream enderer always is a kind of, it, it doesn't make sense because you're, that's not how it works. You don't become that because it's, through letting go that you realize stream entry. It's a realization, not a state that you you attain. So recognize the world is is a, about acquiring, becoming, gaining, achieving. That's that's for the world, worldly state. But the spiritual life is about relinquishing, simplifying, letting go. That's where language oftentimes is very misleading because like so much of our language, you know, English language is a language built on, on worldly ideas of acquiring, becoming, mm. achieving. <coughs>